I really didn't put a lot of thought into the title. It's called Unique. I even had to ask Daniel how to spell it. But anyway, Unique. <laughs> Psalm 65:11 says this, that you crown 2017 with your goodness and your past drip with abundance. We've been talking about taking the limits off of God. Last week we talked about the sovereignty of God. If you weren't here, you ought to, you can go online. Is it online, sir? You can go online and listen to that free. We don't charge anything for the messages. And uh, we don't charge for the CDs either. But uh, it's easier just to click online and you can listen to the message, download it. You should be doing that if you're not, if you miss a Sunday. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Unique, the word unique. I looked it up. It's a real simple definition, but I love this definition. Being the only one of its kind, unlike anything else. Is that neat? I'm going to say it again. Being the only one of its kind, unlike anything else. This is why I feel like the Lord told me, he says, that's you. That's everybody he's ever created. You know, everybody knows that you are the only one that has those fingerprints. Some people don't know this, but did you know you're also the only one that has a voice print? There's people that can imitate, you know, they sound just like that person. When I was growing up, Rich Little used to do that. I know you probably don't know who that is, but I was fascinated with him because I tried to imitate people by their voice. I would do Hogan's Heroes and all those guys. I'm not going to torture you, but... um, your, but if they listen to it on a recorder and through a computer, your voice print is like no other. And the thing is, the boggling, God created you, and there's never been anybody like you in the past, and will never be anybody like you in the future. I don't know, that just makes me go tilt, number one. Number two, I know some of you spouses may be thinking, thank God. That's not a good thought, by the way. But anyway, because I know that's, you're not doing that in a positive way. But anyway, unique. Everything's unique. And uh, to be honest with you, for those who don't know, one of our things that our vision is to uh, build a youth center. I don't really like calling it a youth center, but that's the only word I've got so far. And that building's going to be unique. It's going to be a building like no other. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Ask somebody. But uh, we, God has created us, and we are unique. But the thing is, we need to live that way. We need to live that way. There are two times that Jesus was marveled in the New Testament. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there's only two times that he was marveled. One time it was in Mark chapter 6 where he was marveled at their unbelief. It was his hometown. You know, when I go back to Louisville, Kentucky, it's my hometown. They're not impressed with me too much. But anyway, because they go, we know you. But anyway, (laughs) Jesus went to his hometown and they weren't too impressed with him. And he marveled at their unbelief. And the very next scripture, it says in Mark chapter 6 that he went about and he taught in their synagogues and he taught. Why? Because they needed to hear the word. The word is the cure for unbelief. All of us, including me, everybody on this planet has to deal with doubt and unbelief. All of us. You have to deal with it. And the way to deal with it is the word of God. So you shouldn't just be reading the Bible you know, I, I read electronically now. I know it may be terrible for some of you, but I read electronically. But uh, you, you should be reading the Bible not to find. <laughs> I used to read the Bible, you know, to make sure I know what to do, don't do, make sure every I is dotted. Every t- you should be reading the Bible to find out who Jesus is and how much he loves you and what he's done for you. It'll change your life. It will change your life. And so you read the Bible, and, and, find, and it will start knocking unbelief out of your heart. I'm telling you, it will. But the time, two times, one time was unbelief. The second time, 
was in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus was marveled at a Gentile, a centurion soldier. A centurion means a hundred, which a centurion soldier means he was a captain over a hundred men. So he was over a hundred men, and his servant at home was on death's door, and so he must have really was fond of him, and he didn't want him to die. So he heard about Jesus. And I love that song, Jesus, Jesus, that we sang today. I just love that because that, if you know about Jesus, you know everything you need to know. And by that, I mean he will help you in every situation of your life. And the centurion, he must have heard about Jesus because when he called upon him, the Bible says in Matthew 8, 8, says the centurion, well, first of all, Jesus says, I'll come to his house and I'll take care of him. And the centurion soldier said, you don't have to do that. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. He says, you just speak the word. Wow. For I'm also a man under authority. He had people over him. Having soldiers under me, he had soldiers under him. He was, had a hundred guys underneath him. And he says, so I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another one, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith. No, not even in Israel. Why? He didn't need a tangible Feeling. He didn't need a tangible touch. He just needed the word. Why? Because he knew authority. He understood authority. And he says, I've watched you, Jesus, and I know and I see you have authority. So you just speak the word and my servant's going to be healed. He spoke the word. His servant was healed. What do you need from God today? What do you need? What do you need? Maybe something that's really impossible to you. Something big. Something that it's maybe causes just doubt when you start thinking about it. It just causes doubt to arise within you. I do know this. God usually puts people in positions and situations that that person doesn't feel qualified for. In other words, you think, man, this is above my pay, my pay scale. This is above my skill set. I am a living testimony of God doing that over and over and over in my life. And, um, you know, I, I've been teaching about how if you really have a strong desire to do something, then you should do it. That's the will of God for your life. But there is a part that sometimes we feel uncomfortable doing something that is like overwhelming or above our skill set or bigger than us. And, and we think, well, that must not be God. You ever done that? And people think, well, that's probably the Holy Ghost telling me not to do it. Well, it may be the Holy Ghost telling you to do it. And your flesh, your soul says, ah, I don't want to do that. that I'm not comfortable. That's... That's bigger than what I think I can do. I know I, I, there's four things that I've done in my life. I, I, there's one guy that I knew. He wasn't even 40 years old. Matter of fact, I think he turned 40, and he had 30 jobs. He wrote them down, 30 jobs. I went, wow, 30 jobs. I thought, man, that's, that's and that's not I'm not belittling that, or I'm not, but I just thought of my life, because he started, I never thought of it, and at that point, I went, Okay, I was a manager at McDonald's, I went in the Air Force, and I was a FedEx driver, and now I'm a pastor. I did four. I've had four jobs my whole entire life, official jobs. I've had stuff on the side, but official jobs. And I thought about that, and all four of them, I felt unqualified or that, that I, I wasn't ready for it. When I was 16, I started working at McDonald's. When I was 17, they made me a manager swing shift manager it was the bottom but, but still I was on salary which was crummy but it, I was uh, <laughs> I was a manager in other words I was in charge anything happened when I was on 
I, I was 17 years old and all the other managers, everybody was gone. I was a night shift and, and they'd be gone. I'd be in charge of everything. So if anything was wrong or happened, it was mine. It's called ownership. Let me just say something about that. When you do anything, you should own it. That'll help you in your job. Anyway, that's another note. But um, so I thought that was too much for me at age 17. And then I went in the Air Force at age 18. I, I got trained at age 19. I was refueling jet aircraft, multi-million dollar aircraft up in the air at age 19, which if I was responsible for. I had a friend that was in, uh, on our base who, who stuck the boom, the thing that I flew, into the canopy of the F-4, and it shattered in a million pieces. Nobody got hurt, but he had emergency land. He got in a lot of trouble. And I just thought, Ow! Age 19, here I am. I, I mean, it's easy to do. It's not like you have to cram it. You just touch it. And because of the pressure inside and you're doing hundreds of 650 miles an hour, you know, it doesn't take much to bust something. So I thought, man, this is over my head. This is... And so every single time I did it, from the first time to the very last time I did it, hundreds of times, I would walk back from the cockpit to the rear of the plane saying thank you God that you are helping me to do this <laughs> I depended upon him I relied upon him and then I after that I started working at FedEx and then I was in another situation when I started working they put me after two years or about about two years I was in charge of a whole aircraft operation in Louisville Kentucky which was chaos that you had to manage there's planes and trucks and all kinds of stuff coming in. And there again, it was just like, man, this is just overwhelming, God. And I would have to call out upon God. I need your help. This is bigger than me. And then I became a pastor. And out of all those four situations, this has been the toughest. I am not joking. I have had to call upon God and rely upon him and trust him. And just, I thought, First of all, when I was in Bible school, I went to the missions. I didn't even go to the pastor's group. I thought, well, that was a bum. I tell Melly, it's her fault. She, God wanted me to hook up with her, and she went to the missions. And so second year, I met her, and I thought, why am I taking missions? I met my wife. So anyway, I believe in dating service, but... Um, Those four jobs were overwhelming, but I know this. Can I tell you something? When you are good at something, when you are gifted at something, that is the scariest time because it makes you and me not dependent upon God because we can rely upon our own gifting. I always thought that... Um, I was a gifted driver, and I could drive. I loved to drive. We were on our way to church this morning. Uh, I was, my boys, Melody, all of us are in the car, and uh, we were talking about when I first moved the, to Colorado, uh, Melody's uncle took us over Independence Pass. Boy from Kentucky, never seen anything like that. And so um, it was just a sheer cliff, and I grabbed my wife's hand, and I said, Jesus, help us all. And I said that because I wanted to be the one behind the steering wheel. If I was behind the steering wheel, it wouldn't bug me, wouldn't bother me. But because I was not behind the steering wheel, I wasn't in control. I just thought, I don't know this man. I don't know if he's a good driver. And I'm totally dependent upon him staying on the road. So I said, I just didn't like that situation. My wife spoke up. She says, Mike, you don't like it no matter who's behind the wheel anytime. And I said, you're right. But I thought, you know, I got this ring, uh, the first one at FedEx to get a ring uh, for 10 years without an accident. 10 years without a, an accident is a pretty big deal if you saw the way that I drove. <laughs> and some people think there is no God. You should have just had a videotape. You would say, there is a God. <laughs> I'm not saying that to brag, but I'm, I'm going to someplace here. I used to think that was Mike. And one summer, the Lord taught me 
that if any of us are good at something, even as small as a thing is driving, that that came from God. I'm not going to go into detail, but after the end of the summer, I realized that, Mike, you're not such a hotshot driver. It's because of God. And the great thing about that is, your heavenly Father, you know, if you're kind of cocky, thinking that you don't need God, He doesn't get offended. He doesn't write you off. I know you've, I've had some friends, you've had some friends, you know, something didn't go right or whatever, and they got offended, and now you are no longer friends. But your father, even when you act like, I've got this, God, I got this, he will still ever so gently speak to you, woo you, help you to realize you do need me, even when you're good at something. So if you're good at something, you can just take it to the bank. It came from God. It's the times that we're not good at something, or we're in a precarious situation, like of all of the things that I was in, I didn't realize what God was doing in my life. Like, you know, from 16 to 17, being a manager. Oh, my goodness. It was overwhelming. It's above my pay scale. I don't know if I can do this. God. When I was at McDonald's after, I didn't call out on God at all. I was not, he was not on my radar. Yeah, it was terrible. Women were. (laughs) And when I went into the Air Force, all of a sudden, I thought I was going to die. I thought the Air Force was trying to kill me when they were trying to train me. I thought they were trying to kill me. So I started calling out on God. You know, you'd be amazed how spiritual you can be if you think you're going to die. So I started calling out on God, you know, and I started praying. I started reading my Bible, you know. I mean, you're supposed to read the Bible. I started reading the Bible. I started praying, Jesus, don't let me die. And so I I depended upon him to do the job, to help do the job through me. And then at FedEx, I, I learned that, and so... This chaotic planes coming in and at four o'clock in the morning, everybody's half asleep, and all of a sudden you better wake up because you got aircraft coming in, you got tractor trailers, you got this plane over here, you got people running around, and it's just chaotic. You think, God, I need your help. And then when I became a pastor, I thought, oh, wow, this is more relaxed job, easy, <laughs> easier job. This is praise God. This is around godly people. This is. This is the hardest job I have ever had in my whole entire life. And yet, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. But it's because I've had to depend. You have to depend upon him. You have to depend upon God. At whatever you do, acknowledge him. Say, Lord, I, I, I thank you. I'm doing this today. I just want to thank you for helping me. I need your help. I need your help. Well... God wants to do great things in you, and sometimes it is so unique. Why? Because you're unique. Nobody's ever been created like you, and nobody ever will. Knowing some things about how you are, your shortcomings, your limitations, we all know what the problem about life is that it's daily. Some of you didn't get that. The problem with life is that it's daily. You got to face it every day. And you know and I know more about yourself than anybody else. You know your limitations. You know your weaknesses. You know your faults. And because of that, you will not put yourself in a position where you think that God can use you or you can do the job. Solomon was put in that position. Solomon, you know his story, he, uh, his father was David, his mama was Bathsheba. And the story with Bathsheba, most people uh, know that uh, David saw her naked, taking a bath on top of the house. That's how they bathe, and, and uh, so he saw her, and he says, I'll take that. Being a king, he could get what he wanted. The only problem was she was married. 
and her husband was Uriah the Hittite, one of the 30 great men that we talked about last week, the week before, sometime in the history of this church, that he was one of God, uh, David's mighty men. He fought, gave his life for David. He had him murdered, premeditated murder, because he had an affair with Bathsheba and she was pregnant. That child dies, and then she gets pregnant again, and here comes Solomon. And God used Solomon for the bloodline to go through that. I don't know about you, but would you pick David and Bathsheba? I, you know, I'm just thinking that whole premeditated murder, adultery type thing is, I think we can get somebody better. This is the problem with your thinking and my thinking. We need to know the mercy, the grace, and the love of God is beyond your normal thinking. Are you out there? Because in our life, did you know this? The law, the commandments, and the old covenant disqualified David. He should have been killed. He wasn't. Why? It's the mercy of God. God says, I can still use you, David. We write people off. Listen to me. We write people off. We even write ourselves off when we don't feel like we measure up or they don't feel like they measure up. And so you write them off. Most of us write ourselves off because, you know, we just mess up a lot. I think David's mess up was pretty big. And God says, I can use that. I don't think you're hearing me. He says, I can use that. He said, I can use that. So we have Solomon now. He's a young man, and he's now going to become king of a whole nation. He's never done that, never went to school for that. So this is, you could say, above his pay scale, above his skill set. So he realizes that. So in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. Now, he wasn't a little child, but that's the way he felt because, you know, He's a young man. He says, I do not know what I'm doing. Half the time when I get up to speak, I tell God, I do not know what I'm doing. You better speak through me or we're going to have a horrible service today. (laughs) He says, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. We're talking millions of people and he's in charge. He's in charge of all of them. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? He says, it's your people. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Verse 11. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing, you have not asked for life, long life, for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. The King James says wisdom and understanding. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that you, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. He was unique. I'm stopping there. He was unique, and God said, there's nobody before you, nobody after you. That's you as well. He says, you're unique. Verse 13, I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. If you study Solomon, he was the richest man on the planet. And according to how much billions of dollars of gold and silver he had, nobody, I mean, Bill Gates cannot even come close. He was Bill Gates, Solomon, Bill Gates a pauper. Pauper? He was poor compared to... Thank you. He was poor compared to Solomon. Poor. Oh, you just have a few billion? Oh, I'll take your lunch. I'll take you out to lunch. Drop down to verse 15. So Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. 
And he came to Jerusalem. He stood before the ark of the covenant of the, of the Lord. He offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all the servants. If you read this same account of the story in First Chronicles, the Bible says that he offered up a thousand sacrifices. After he had this dream, he offered up a thousand sacrifices to God. I don't know about you, but that's a long service. People complain, you know, you're, you went 10 minutes over today. <laughs> I don't know how long it took that, you know, back in those days, you couldn't just sacrifice. They had to cut them up. I'm so grateful. I, I couldn't handle that. I don't like to see blood and guts. But they cut up the sacrifice, and the priest, the preacher did this. Take the guts out, did all this, and burned it a certain way, did everything. A thousand of them. Wow. That was impressive to me, maybe not to you, but... So he did all of this, and right after this, verse 16, now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this other woman gave birth also, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. So there were two women in the house. Everybody got that picture, a house? <laughs> Who's in your house? God is in it. No. Verse 19, and this woman's son died in the night because she laid on him. She suffocated her baby. It's horrible. So she arose in the middle of the night, took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. So you get it, she's asleep, uh, and so her baby died. She takes the dead baby, puts it over here underneath her arm, takes the live baby, and puts it over there with her. It was a switch. <laughs> Verse 21, when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the, in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. The other woman said, no, 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 no. But the living one is my son, and the dead one is her son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. They had an argument. Who are you going to believe? Verse 23, and the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is dead one. The other one says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son's the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. Verse 25, and the king said, divide the living child in two, give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the kings, for she yearned with compassion for her son and said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child. By no means kill him. But the other one said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother and all Israel heard the judgment which the king had rendered and they feared the king for they saw that the look at that phrase wisdom of God was in him to administer justice this wasn't the wisdom of man you can't get this out of a book it was the wisdom of God I'm all about learning. I think you should grow. I think you should read. I think you should be teachable and expand. Absolutely. But there's only some things that you can't get that only God can give. He is your father. He has the DNA that's in you, and you need to get it from him. He believed God that he had the wisdom. When he awoke, it wasn't like he thought, now, I wonder if I got that or not. No, when he awoke, there was a confidence and a faith in him that he had what God said that he was giving him in his dream. He says, from this point on, you've got it. He had the wisdom of God. And the story proved right afterwards that he had the wisdom of God. My point is this. When you feel like something is bigger than you, when you're overwhelmed... You need to trust God and ask him for the wisdom, for the skill set. You need to believe him. It takes faith. 
which only comes in Romans 10, 17. It says, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So we know that. But I think sometimes we know it so much that we don't really let it become part of our DNA and believe that. For example, if you, I, I saw Philippians 4.13. I've known that scripture for years and years and years. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I've quoted that, quoted that. And I realize that's Paul speaking that scripture. And if you st- just read Acts about the life of Paul. I mean, that guy went to hell and back. He, he was tortured. He was put in prison, stoned, killed, came back to life, ridiculed, persecuted. People hated him. They wanted him dead, shipwrecked, spend a day and a night in the ocean. I mean, I bet you he looked like a prune after he got out of there. I mean, it's, you know, after you stay in the water too long, your skin. He, I mean, that guy went through it. And so I believe the scripture came from God. The Bible says in Timothy that all scriptures uh, come from God. He's the author of all scripture. But I truly believe that, you know, God, he sees such a huge big picture that we don't see. We don't even see but a little bit of it. I believe this came through Paul for all mankind because it's the word of God. But I also believe that it came to Paul because God knew Paul needed it. It says this in Philippians 4.13. This is the Amplified. I have strength for some things, most of the things. For all things in Christ who empowers me, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Paul needed that. He was beaten. He was thrown in prison. People traveled from city to city. They followed him to, to ridicule him. When he preached the gospel, they would come against him. The majority of his ministry was, for lack of better terms, hell on earth. He preached the gospel, and you know, you think, oh, man, you preached the gospel. And man, people are going to love you. Kill him. So he had to have something from God that he couldn't get from man. He had to have strength that his mama couldn't give him. His mentors, nobody could give him. It had to come from God. He says, I have strength for everything, and it's in Christ. He's the one who empowers me. He's the one who makes me ready for anything and equal to anything through him. He infuses inner strength in me, and he causes me to be self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. He knew how to depend upon God. That's the bottom line. And he said, thanks be to God who causes me to have victory because of him. He says, you can try to kill me. You can throw me in prison. But when the dust settles, I'm still going to be happy and full of joy and have victory in my life. Wow. Wow. What causes that? I mean, listen, if Christians in the world, somebody who's not even saved and believes in God, if there is no difference between the two, the Christian is missing it. Now, that's not to put anybody down because I've missed it. But I'm just saying there should be a level of victory and joy in a believer like nobody else. Why? Because you're unique. And the good news is even the world who doesn't know it, God's created them unique and created victory and joy for them as well. But you got to know it. you got to believe it. I was thinking about all of this, about how... It's, it's really easy to have a pity party on your life. Have you ever had a pity party? Don't answer that. <laughs> it's easy to have a pity party. In my early 20s, mid-20s, Danielle was born. She was our firstborn. And before she turned three, my wife was in a car accident with her and she died. She was killed in a car accident. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm a single parent with a, she wasn't quite three years old yet. And I had all of my relatives, family, friends in Louisville, Kentucky, and so they were helping me do all the things that 
I thought, oh my goodness, I know nothing about girls. Those pigtails, she always wanted pigtails. <laughs> Daddy, can you make the pigtails? I will try. Everybody looked at her, and the first thing, when a woman came across, they go, honey, come here. <laughs> and I look at him, I go, I know. You know, they're supposed to be, one would be this way and that one the right way. It looked like, I think it looks okay. You're good. Let's go, hon. It was horrible. And I thought, this is above my skill set. This is above my pay grade. And then right in the middle of that, right in the middle of that, God says, I want you to go to Bible school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Like me and Danielle, is that what you mean? Like us go to, yes, the two of you need to move to Tulsa. I don't know if you know that, but that's about um, a lot of miles between Tulsa and Louisville, Kentucky. It's not something you can just go back and forth on a weekend. So I told my family, specifically my mom, and my mom said, uh, Mike, I don't think that's wise. Here you have family, and, you know, every time I would go to work, my mom would babysit for free. It's great. She says, you're not going to have that if you move to Tulsa. I said, Mom, I know, but I know that I know that I know God spoke this in my heart. I said, I'm not, there's not one ounce of doubt in me. I'm supposed to go. Well, how are you going to, who's going to watch her? I don't know. Then I went to FedEx and told them, you know, I'm, I need to see if I can transfer to Tulsa, Oklahoma. They said, Mike, there's a hiring freeze on. There was about three or four times in the history of FedEx that they would have a hiring freeze, which meant they were trying to cut their budget, and so they wouldn't let any station hire. She said, Mike, there's a hiring freeze. And so um, I said, well, I'm giving my resignation in then because I'm moving to Tulsa. She looked at me, and she said, you're going to throw your whole career away? I said, well, I'm not throwing it away. I'm just, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. She says, well, let's just put it on hold. Don't quit. I'll just put you in, you know, some kind of status. She says, when you get to Tulsa, go look at the manager and tell him that you're from here and get your name put on the list. So when they do start hiring, he could call you. I said, okay. So I go to Tulsa, Danielle and me. First of all, I own my own home. I had all new, I made good money, FedEx. Every single bedroom, every single room in that house had brand new furniture. I had a sports car. I had new cars. I just knew stuff. New house. House wasn't very old. And a uh, guy down the street was renting. I, he said, I hear you're, you're going to sell your house. I said, yeah. I said, if you want to take over payments, I'll sign it over to you. Signed it over to him. He started making payments. I was free of the house. Gave all the furniture away. Loaded my clothes and Danielle's clothes and my vehicle and left for Tulsa, Oklahoma. No U-Haul, just clothes. I got there, went to Raymond on the board. They had a board that somebody says, yeah, you can get, um, they have information there and stuff about housing and stuff. So I went there, and there was a family that had a room for rent. So I thought, that's what I need. So I went to them, called them, met them. I said, I just want you to know, I got a baby as well. A three-year-old. They said, fine, that's great. Come on, that's great. I went, okay. <laughs> they loved her. They had a 16-year-old daughter whom they homeschooled. I had instantaneous babysitting. So I had a place to live the very first day. Wasn't even dark yet. Had a very place to live. Had a babysitter. And so the next morning I went to FedEx. I got into FedEx, went to the office. And I told the young lady across the counter, I said, you know, my name is Mike Davis. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I've been with FedEx so many years, and I've did this. And, and so I said, I'm not asking for a job. I just want to, if I could speak to the managers, just let them know who I am. And, and he heard back in his office, <laughs> and he said, he's, he comes walking in, he goes, you must be Opie. Now, I'm telling you something that I'm very transparent, and this is not to get out of the church. 
When I was hired at FedEx in Louisville, Kentucky, the guy who's been there forever, he gave me a nickname first day on the job. He says, your name's Opie. And I said, what? He says, never mind, you're going to be Opie from now on. He was not lying. I was there all this time, and there's some people in Louisville, Kentucky that think my name is Opie Taylor. They have no clue I'm Mike Davis. They think, no, that's Opie. I know him. And so my name is Opie. I mean, everybody called me Opie. Nobody called me by my real name. And when somebody got hired, they thought, oh, yeah, this, that's Opie. They heard people talking. Hey, Opie, can you go do this? Opie, can you do that? Yeah, Opie, I need tomorrow off. Okay. And so I got, and this guy, I go, what in the world? I must be in the twilight zone. This guy comes out, you must be Opie. I went, How? Did you know what? He goes, your boss called me. <laughs> said, your boss called me and told me all about you. And he says, uh, come on back in my office. So I went back in his office. He said, you know, there's a hiring freeze on. I said, I know. I'm just, if you could just put my name on the list, when, you know, if the day comes when they open, you know, just consider me. He says, I'm going to consider you. Matter of fact, you're going to start working for me. I think it was a Wednesday or Thursday. He says, I want you to come in Monday. You're going to start working for me. I went, what about this hiring freeze? I thought, blah, 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 blah. He says, I know some people. And they know some people. And I need you. And you're going to work for me starting Monday. Can you be there? I go, yes, I can. So within 24 hours, everything was taken care of. I'm telling you, that is God. God, and let me just back up. For somebody who says, oh, man, the Lord must have, you know, did the Lord cause that? No, God didn't kill anybody. You can't find anywhere in the Bible that God wants to murder your children, murder your wife. You may want to, but that means God will never want to. But this is what I am saying. When you trust and you are dependent Upon him. What the devil meant for evil, God says, I, can, I don't care what. You know, in Isaiah, it says he, that he will take, make beauty out of ashes. You know, when something's burned up, it's ashes, there's no hope for restoration. You can't fix it. That can't be fixed. But God says, I can. And not only can I fix it, I will take those ashes and make something beautiful out of it. He didn't cause, listen to me, he didn't cause the ashes. He did not cause the ashes. But when the devil says, yeah, what are you going to do now? Your life is nothing but the ashes. You go to your heavenly father and says, I can make something beautiful out of that. And it will be unique. I'm telling you. I thought, you know, it's easy to say, man, what am I going to do? I got a three-year-old. My wife died. And, well, I don't have a job. And, I, and you want me to go to Tulsa away from my family. <sighs> I did. I did. And he did. And he caused my life to be the most awesome life. I have more victory and more joy today than I've ever had in my life. I'm telling you. You depend upon him, and he will take ashes, and he doesn't just cause it to come alive. It becomes beautiful. Not only to him, but the world to see it. And they go, how did you do that? Well, I want to introduce you to my heavenly father. I had nothing to do with this. I had nothing to do with the McDonald's thing. I had nothing to do with the FedEx thing, with the Air Force thing, with the pastor thing. This was all God's idea because he knows the end from the beginning, and he can connect the dots, and he will cause life out of death, happiness and joy out of tragedy. He doesn't cause the death. He doesn't cause the tragedy. But, man, is he a fixer. He can fix it when nobody can. He can cause you to get a job when it says it's impossible. When he says we're not going to hire anybody, God says, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. 
But you got to trust him. You got to rely upon him. You got to depend upon him. Solomon sit there and goes, I can't do this, but I know you have the wisdom and ability to do it. So will you give me that and help me to do this and govern these multi millions of people? Will you help me do that? Because I have to do that. And if you don't, it's not going to get done. God says, I can do that. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you understanding beyond your years. I'll open up a door that no man can open. I close the door that no man can shut. I'll take care of you because I am your father. But you got to believe that. You got to trust him, rely upon him. I remember one time, God is so subtle. He, it, we miss God by not being quiet sometimes. But the good news is, it, he'll, he'll keep telling you. When I was living at that house, it was Danielle and I. She was three years old, and I think we were watching with the family a football game. Danielle went out in the backyard. It was fenced in the backyard. And up at the, the garage, there was two concrete little stones and a piece of steel, like an axle that was real long. Well, she climbed up on top of that to look in the window in the garage. And um, I'm watching a game like a father. <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting there watching a game, and you can tell Melly when I'm watching the Broncos, she can come in and say, Mike, I just uh, totaled the truck and just wanted you to know. Okay, good, all right, yeah, good. <laughs> so she knows when I'm watching a game, do not tell me anything. So I'm watching a game or watching something like that, and all of a sudden... You need to go check on Danielle. So I got up. I went out in the backyard, and she was whimpering, crying, because she'd been crying and crying and crying. And that steel beam, she was on it. It rolled, and her feet slid off of it, and she fell down, and that steel beam pinned her right across her legs there and pinned her. She couldn't get out. She was only three. She couldn't lift that steel. And so she was just there. And I look back to that, and the Lord says, that was your father telling you to take care of that. Not only that, I didn't take her to the doctor, but I, I don't know if her legs are broke or what. But I sit there, and I put my hands on her legs, and I said, in the name of Jesus, you are healed, and just spoke healing to her legs. She wiped the tears away. I said, you okay? She goes, yeah. She got up and took off running. I go, we're good. <laughs> I said that to say this, you can miss God in the subtle things of life. And a lot of times we miss him because we're not listening. If something bad has happened, it's not because God caused it. If something bad happened, it's not because, you know, the bottom line is this. Just go back to him. Go to God. Say, God, this, this happened. And he's, if you... Get a scripture, something that you need. I asked, it was either first service or this service. What do you need from God? Did I ask you that? I did the first service. Get that tape. But anyway, get a scripture of something in here. And I do know this. You may not have to know that God meets all of Philippians 4, 19. My God meets all of my need according to his riches and glory. You may not know how to quote that. But if you know the concept, God, you will take care of me. And if you think about that, if you write that on your refrigerator, on your mirror, just something that will cause you to think that God's going to take care of me. My God, my Father is going to take care of me. You write that and you think about it and you dwell upon that. That will cause faith to come to you and it's going to happen. I just knew that God was going to take care of me. How? I didn't know. He used the guys, he touched the guy, he pulled on the heartstrings of a guy who was a manager at FedEx and says, I'm, I'm going to hire you. He didn't ask me any questions. He didn't know my boss called him and he said, yeah, your boss talked highly of you, you're hired. I don't think that was coincidental, I think that was God. I think it was God my whole life, every minute, every minute of your life. Why? Because you are unique to God. Nobody else is like you. If you've got more than one kid, you know your kids are unique. They're all different, but you love them all. 
If you got six, if you got 10, if you got 12, you need Jesus for sure. But I mean, (laughs) amen? And they're all unique. How much more does your heavenly father look at you and go, you're unique. I don't have anybody like you. Why don't you come to me? Why don't you spend time with me? Why don't you look to me? Because I know everything you need, and I'll take care of you. I've got provision already for you. Everything you you need in life, I've got it. Everything. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of hardship, you come to me. I'm the God of all comfort. I'll comfort you. I'll provide for you. I am the Father of all fathers. Amen? Let's stand. I didn't get to the scripture, but I'll read it. I didn't say it the first scripture. The Lord gave me this scripture, Isaiah 52, 12. You will not leave in a hurry, running for your lives, for the Lord will go ahead of you. Yes, the God of Israel will protect you from behind. When I was going to Bible school and all of that was going on, I felt like, you know, the devil, I had this mini dream vision that the devil was a snake. And he was right in front of me and he stood up on his tail. And it caused me to think, he, he was bigger than me. He seemed bigger than me. And I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And there was a sword. And so I took, picked, lay on the ground. So I picked up the sword and I just went over there and I cut that dude right in half. Boom, he fell in two pieces. And I thought, yeah. Then all of a sudden, they came to life and the one that was the tail, it grew ahead. So now there was two snakes and they stood up. And that one went all the way around behind me. And so there was 180 degrees, one in front and one in behind. And I said, oh God, what are we going to do here? And I thought that was my life. I thought the devil was really coming against me. And all of a sudden, out of heaven, there was this huge sword. It was coming from heaven that split the sky and it came and it went right behind my back and and it stood stuck in the ground and the ground the whole earth shook and but this sword I saw it but when it came behind me it was as far as you could see from the east is to the west there was no getting around it so that snake behind me couldn't get to me and when that snake saw that sword stick in the ground it took off and that scripture in Isaiah 52, in King James Version, it says, I'll be your rear reward. That word in the Hebrew is, I got your back. Somebody needs to hear that today. I've got, God has got your back. What does that mean? You may not have 360 degrees. It may seem like the devil's coming in 360 degrees. God's got your back. And when you know that you know that you know that, no devil in hell, they are going to be afraid of you. God has got your back.